0: Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Now, Romans 12, it is, I'm actually kind of bummed that it's done after this week because I love Romans 12. I love studying it. I love reading it. I love talking about it. Um, and today, we're, as we're getting into the end part, we're kind of getting into this idea about judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to struggle a little bit with judgment. Uh, I, a lot of you know I went to camp for a couple weeks in the last month here, one with senior hires, one with junior hires. Um, and i gotta be, I got to be totally honest. Junior hires make me really judgmental, uh, just in general. There's something about them that, especially when you're like low on sleep, I get really judgmental of junior high kids. Now, in in all truthfulness, I don't think it's always I'm getting judgmental of the kids. So one of the things I have to do at, at camp is I'm, they call me camp dad, and I, so I take care of I, I check rooms. Uh, I at the cafeteria. I'm making sure that kids every every day that there's um, a boy and a girl's cabin that's in there, kind of helping with with all the stuff in the cafeteria, uh, dumping stuff out in the garbage, all that kind of stuff. And then I I also do disciplinary stuff. And so one day I got really annoyed at junior high camp because I was there and. I realize that there's not a child in that campground that knows how to wash down a table. It drives me nuts. They, they will take the, 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 the rag out of the water and they don't wring it out at all. They just take this, this thing that's like water dripping and oozing down from it and then they just plop it on the table and then they spread it all around. And I'm like, guys, you have now got a lake on the table. I don't know what's wrong with you. And so I'm like, wring it out. So they, they do it and they they squeeze it just a little bit and then they do that and I'm like guys it's still a lake and they get it down to where it's like a pond on the table and I'm still not happy but I gotta be honest I don't get super judgmental of the kids I get judgmental of all you the parents not teaching kids how to wipe down a table drives me nuts uh, but things happen uh, about the, the third day of camp and kids start doing really really stupid stuff they are going on low amounts of sleep and there's one kid he was in the cafeteria. And he was supposed to be helping out his cabin mates with all the stuff that they're doing in the cafeteria. And that kid was angry. I go up to him and I'm like, hey, are you going to help us out? And he just stares me, like death stare, right into my eyes. I actually thought I was going to die for a minute. It was scary. I'm like, dude, what's, what's up? Wouldn't say anything. I'm like, are you mad? Yeah, I'm mad at my cabin leader. I'm like, okay, why? Because he, I was supposed to be over at the door, and now I'm at the garbage can. That's where he put me, and I was like, hashtag tell me you're a middle schooler without telling me you're a middle schooler, right? This kid was so angry, and there was everything in me welling up. I wanted, part of me wanted to smack the kid in the nose. Part of me wanted to just, like, scream at the kid. I tried to stay as patient as I could. He left the cafeteria after about five more minutes, and I went and tracked him down. I'm like, nobody, you're coming back in, and I'm like, come follow me, come on. Kind of like, this sounds like Jesus. Come, follow me. And he starts walking as slow as he can. And now I'm getting mad. I'm like, you don't walk behind. I'm like, why don't you jog a little bit? And he just keeps walking slow. Man, we got in the cafeteria and I was like, okay, you at least sit in here until all all of your cabin mates get to leave too. This is ridiculous. I was super, in that moment, super judgmental of this kid. Like, this kid is just a bad dude. Something crazy happened. He came up to me uh, right before dinner then. That was lunch. Came up to me before dinner. Kid shakes my hand. He says, hey, I just want to apologize. You didn't, you didn't deserve that attitude from me at lunch. I died right there. Literally just of like one, albeit bad, experience. Um, and then I saw, and I told the kid, I'm like, you know what? I respect you more now for that apology than if what happened at lunch had never happened. Uh, but judgment is something that we struggle with. The kid would have never gotten any closer to Jesus if I had gone off on him like crazy, right? He had a moment where his youth pastor pulled him aside afterwards and was able to talk to him. And then I think the Holy Spirit was able to get a hold of that kid's heart. But had had there been an accusatory tone, a judgment kind of tone, um, and just gone off on him, I, I wonder what would have happened with that kid if God would have gotten a hold of his heart. And so in Romans chapter 12, Paul is addressing this idea of our our ability to judge people. He tries to get us really to rethink what we think, not just about our enemies, I don't think, but just about people that rub us wrong. Here's the thing. If you live in the world, you're going to have people who are going to frustrate you. I know... I frustrate myself sometimes. I can't imagine how much I frustrate the people around me. And so that's just a part of life. And how are we going to deal with that? And Romans chapter 12, he really, he, he gets to this at the very end. If, if revenge and anger feel so good, why is it so wrong for us? Because it feels good a lot of times. Why shouldn't people be put in their place? What is it that Paul thinks is the reason why we should rethink the way we judge people? And so I want to read this out of Romans chapter twelve, verses eighteen through twenty one. Paul writes, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but I'm for God's wrath, for it's written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, let me just actually pray before we keep going here. Lord, I thank you for that, for that message, for that passage out of Romans 12. And God, I ask as we go into just a moment of, of seeing, okay, what does this really mean for us? God, I pray that our hearts would be open. God, I pray that you would let us hear what you're wanting us to hear on this today in Jesus' name. Amen. You look at read every single day and I think it would be really, really good for us. Reading this passage could start to, over and over again, it could start to change the way we think about the people who are tough for us. You look at the first thing that he says here in verse 18, he says, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What Paul is saying here is if it's in your power, at all, in any way, shape, or form, if it's in your power, we are called to actually living at peace with people. What does it mean to live at peace with people? You know, you look at little kids and, and sometimes you realize that they are choosing to be mad at the, the people around them. Maybe stop this little kid who's, who's mad. John is mad at Fred. And you say to John, Hey, John, what's wrong with you, man? Why are you so angry? And little John's like, man, I can't even look at Fred. He's he's just the worst thing ever. I can't stand him. And you look at Fred, and Fred's like, I don't know. I just asked him if I could use his eraser. And that's what happens with little kids. Like, you don't even know. The anger might be coming from six months ago. John had something happen with Fred, and, and it's never been reconciled. Maybe John just woke up in a bad mood. Some of you have maybe seen kids here this morning who woke up in a bad mood. There's like half the kids here never give me a five in the morning. Come on. Let's, let's work on that, kids. John was mad at Fred. Why was he mad at Fred? because it's, it's a choice not to live peaceably with other people. And we have that. We, we hold on to our anger sometimes and don't live at peace with people. And so I want you to see what you, Paul is telling us to rethink when it comes to our anger is this. Rethink the anger that wells up in you. You are not entitled to any of your anger. Now that, that might not be something you like hearing this morning. I really don't like being told that I'm not entitled to things. I really don't like being told that I'm not entitled to my anger. I feel like I am, okay? And most of us, we do feel like we're entitled to anger. We kinda like our anger sometimes. But Paul's saying if it depends on you, be at peace with others. The only way we can't be at peace with others if we're doing it the way that Paul calls us to is if that person's just choosing not to be at peace with us. We can't always make it, Paul's necessarily saying here, that you have to live in friendship with everybody. It's not necessarily that. Living at peace is kind of the act act of not waging war. There are enemies that can live at peace with others. I think Paul is saying, at the very least. Now, I think what you're going to see is there's a progression from the first part of this passage to the end of it. He's starting at the first part, trying to get us to rethink the way that we think. He's starting with, at the very least, your job is to live at peace, which means not to act in aggression, not to wage war against people. But again, we we sometimes like to wage war. We like to hold on to our anger. I know for me, sometimes, do you have that one person that you shouldn't talk to if there's a possibility that you're angry about something, because they're actually going to just make that anger stronger? Uh, I have one of those people in my life, and it happens to be my mom, because my mom and me are the exact same people. And so when we get mad at something, when we don't like something about politics, we don't like what a group of people is doing, we start talking, and we were mild beforehand, and by the end of five minutes, we're like, yeah, the world is awful. Like, that's just kind of where we get to. Like, we we can rile each other up. But that's kind of the opposite of what we probably should be doing, right? We like to hold on to our anger. So saying that you're not entitled to your anger, that might not sit well for all of us. But saying living at peace with people instead of acting out and waging war, maybe that sounds easier. Uh, okay, I can, I can still hold on to my anger, but I just I need to keep from acting out. I need to keep from you know, causing war between that person. But I think what that would be considered is sort of a, a, a peaceful demeanor. It's a passive kind of peaceful demeanor. And I'm not so sure that as we look at the rest of this passage that Paul is just asking us to be passive in our peacefulness. I think he's starting us there, but it's gonna to continue to evolve into some of peaceful demeanor. And so what does that actually look like? I want us to pick up here now in verse 19. The progression goes a little bit further. He says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now I don't know about you, but I read that sometimes and I'm like, that sounds like God wants to do the thing that I want to do. <laughs> I want to take vengeance on somebody. Again, I think as we, as we peel this back, I think it's going to look a little differently than that. Now, this word, this word that he uses for revenge, it's this Greek word, ekdikeo. And what does it mean? It means to avenge yourself by punishing someone else. That sounds a lot like revenge, right? He's saying, do not, do not avenge yourself. Do not punish other people just because you feel like you can. Again, it seems like a, a further development from what he talked about in the, in the previous verse. Think that Paul is trying to get a change of heart for us. Get deep down into our heart and change the way that we're thinking at the heart level. Saying don't take things in your hands, but I, will love, I love what he says here. He says leave room for God. When you are mad at somebody and you want to take vengeance on somebody, he's saying hold up. Your job is to wait and leave room for God. And what does it mean to leave room for God and for his wrath? I propose, the reason he says this is because my wrath and the wrath of God are two different things and they have two different purposes. When I'm dishing out wrath, it's because I want that person to hurt for the sake of hurting. They hurt me. Maybe they didn't even do anything to me and I just want to, I don't like them. And so I want to hurt them for the sake of hurting. Mess with me, I'm going to make it worse for you. That kind of is human nature boiled down to its ugliest essence right there. But I think the wrath of God is different. It's different, I think, in the way that Paul is telling us. He says, make room for God's wrath. Don't pour out your wrath so that God has a place for his wrath to come into that person's existence. And it's a wrath that is meant to lead to a positive change. It's not meant to be this wrath where we're... He's talking about giving God an opportunity so that positive change can occur rather than taking things in your own hands and possibly cutting off what it is that God wants to do in that person's life. So here's the thing that I think that Paul's asking us to rethink. Rethink your desires and motivation for getting payback. We like payback. But we need to rethink why our desires are there. Is my desire there just to hurt people? Because that that's the last thing from God's mind, just to hurt people. This is going to be up on the screen. You should desire for your enemy to experience godly reconciliation rather than you getting the satisfaction of getting back at them at your own expense and at their expense. We should not, even if it's my worst enemy... The last thing is that I should desire for that person to get payback in such a way that they're in a worse place than they were to begin with. But that's where our wrath oftentimes leads. Taking things in our own hands, it's, it's, a, it's getting revenge, in, and it's, it's one of those things, I think it's one of the worst things that we can do as a follower of Jesus. It shows people the exact opposite of what Jesus is. I think it's a lose-lose situation. When I take event, vengeance on somebody else, I'm hurting my own heart. I'm not acting in the way that, I, that Jesus would act, but I'm also showing somebody else the exact opposite of who Jesus is. I want you to read the, this verse. 2 Peter 3, 9 it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. A lot. God is slow in his, in his act of aggression. He is going to do everything that he possibly can to get somebody into a right place. To take what their sin was and to, to essentially to wipe it clean. And you might know where I'm going with this. Because that's exactly the wrath that God brought, brought about through the life of Jesus. See, I think God's looks differently to God. I remember a different thing than us. Wrath looks differently to God. I remember one time that I I took my wrath out on somebody. Uh, We would go and play basketball sometimes when I lived up in Monaco. We'd go play basketball at a correctional facility. Um, And some of these guys were rough. Uh, and my, my dad would go and lead Bible study there, and so then he started bringing groups of guys to play basketball, and it was fun. Like, it was good basketball. And I remember one time, th- so the time before this, we had gone, and I, I, had, I had played fairly well, and I don't think that they liked a 5'4 guy playing well against them, okay? And so when I got there the next time, they started getting kind of physical, and I started getting upset. Like, there was this thing inside of me, like, I'm getting beat up here. And so one time in anger, I'm guarding a guy, He's dribbling out top of the key, and I'm guarding him. And I don't know what went through my head, but the anger went up, and I punched at the ball. I think I punched at the ball. I don't know if I punched at him. I'm serious. Like, it was a moment of crazy, okay? And here's the thing. I did not hit the ball. I hit the guy's stomach. And I thought I was going to (laughs) die, It was one of the scariest moments of my entire life. But here's the thing, I could play it off like, oh, I was just, you know, I was just going for. The, but there was aggression in me. There was a vengeance that had built up in me, and I wanted to take it out on that person. And I, and I think about it t- today. I'm like, this is a guy who, who was in jail. He obviously had a rough situation. And this church group comes in, and this little short guy punches at him. Like, what does that say to him? That kind of wrath. But the wrath of God is completely different. When I give someone payback, nobody wins. I lose, that person loses. But God's payback is different. Think about what God's payback was. God's wrath was ultimately, ultimately paid out in the death of his son, Jesus. See, I think we read that passage there in Romans 12 and we're like, oh, we're waiting for God to, to, to let his wrath be executed on this person. I'm not sure that's what Paul's talking about. I think Paul's trying to say, God has already given his wrath through the person in the blood of Jesus. That is where the wrath is. Now we're meant to point people back to Jesus so that they can understand what, what the wrath really looks like. And it was given through Jesus. It's not on us anymore. Leave room for God's wrath. I think he's saying leave room for God to work it out so that that person's sin gets put on Jesus and not on themselves. And see, when I execute my wrath on somebody, I leave no room for that to come into play. When Paul writes, it's God's to avenge. Realize that he's already avenged that sin that you're upset about. He's already avenged that through the blood of Jesus. It's my job, it's your job to point that person to that wrath rather than the wrath that we want to point them to. He wants everybody to come to repentance. He is patient with everybody. So in that moment where you're starting to lose patience, you remember, if I give out wrath now, is that going to close the door to this person coming to Jesus, understanding Jesus? If you really believe what Jesus did for you, you should never want someone to experience wrath. That's the thing that Jesus did for us. He took away the wrath of God in our lives. So the moment that we turn to that, we are going against what he's done for us. But the truth is we're all guilty of handing out wrath from time to time. It's just its the way we are. Maybe it's to your spouse. Maybe it's to an ex-spouse. Um, maybe it's to people at work. Maybe it's to people in your church. Maybe it's to your kids. I know a lot of parents who they go to bed at night feeling more guilty about anything. They're feeling more guilty about their, the way that they responded to their kids that day because Wrath didn't come out to anybody except to those little children who are looking up to us. I've been there before. Where is that wrath coming out? Next time you're about to go down that path of revenge, that path of wrath, I want you to ask yourself, will this person have a better chance of experiencing God's grace for this issue in their life, this sin that I'm frustrated with? Will will they have a better chance of experiencing God's grace if I avenge myself in this moment, and the answer is always going to be there's there's no way any of us are going to go. Yeah, he's, they're going to have a better chance of experiencing God's grace through that. We need to we need to pull back. Now, admittedly, I think these two verses are still fairly passive. It's not tel- told. Paul hasn't really told us yet what to go. Verses twenty and twenty-one. This is what he says. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is where the turn in the passage goes. This is where Paul goes from simply telling us that we need to, to live without doing some of the negative stuff and he tells us, here's the, the positive thing that you're now supposed to do. We need to rethink our willingness of choosing to do good in every circumstance. And I would actually say it's our unwillingness to do good in every circumstance is probably what we need to rethink. Because we often have an unwillingness to do good. We, a lot of times we think, well, if I just don't do bad, if I don't treat this person in, in a negative way, I've been a pretty good person. And the truth is, uh, it, it's really easy for me. If you treat me well, I love to treat you well. There's actually a nice person inside of me, you guys. Some of you maybe don't realize it, but there is. If you treat me well, I love treating you well. Now, a really good person can maybe say, you don't treat me well, but you know what? I don't treat you bad. You refrain from the bad, but it takes something special for us. When when we are treated in a bad way, it takes something special for us to actually do good to people in that circumstance. And it's tough for us to get there. We are not supposed to just refrain from negative responses. We're actually supposed to carry out positive responses. That is, that is what Paul is boiling this whole thing down to. He's changed the way we think a little bit at a time in this passage. Don't wage war against people. Don't, don't execute your wrath on people so that they can understand the grace that they have in Jesus. But then he got, gets in and he's like, but now I want you to do good. If your enemy is thirsty or hungry give him food or water. Do all these things. And he's saying it. I love what he says here. He says, Ah. looking at Matthew 5 actually, I want to turn to Matthew 5 for just a second. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that can sound really awful to us. Like, Jesus' text of Jesus' life, I don't think he's telling us that we have to be perfect just in our action. It's impossible for you and me. What he's saying is, go after the perfect standard of how Jesus treats people. See, it's really easy for me to look at people in my life. I could, I could go to the store with my best friend and watch how he treats the, the, the clerk at the, at the counter who's really slow. And I could decide, well, that's the that's standard of how I should treat a clerk when they're too slow. Or I can watch a, a movie. I can watch a, man, I love superhero movies and I love, I love them being vigilantes and like taking care of business. But if I live my life as a vigilante, that's wrong. We're not supposed to do that. The only perfect standard that we are supposed to live by in the way that we're supposed to treat people is Jesus. Not telling, Jesus isn't saying that we have to be perfect. He's saying, this is a perfect standard by which you're supposed to try and live. How does Jesus treat people? You see, Jesus was not passive in his love for us, Jesus was active. The Bible talks about how Jesus was our creator, is our creator. He brought life into the world. The Bible talks about how Jesus left his heavenly home with God the Father. He actually came into this world to be one of us, to live like one of us, so that he could die for us. Jesus physically healed people from sickness and blindness. He raised people from the dead. He went and walked on water to meet a group of his friends who were scared while the storm was going on. Jesus endured pain leading to his ultimate betrayal by one of his friends, which led to his torture and his death. I'm telling you, Jesus is never passive in his love for us. He is active. I think too many times we find ourselves being passive in the way that we love people. We find ourselves maybe just being okay with, I didn't do bad to them, so I'm good. I think God's calling us to something more. There's an interesting line in verse 20 where he says that uh, you're going to heap burning coals on people's heads when you treat them this way. This is not to say we want them to feel bad about it. Like, I want to be so nice to this person that they're going to feel awful. That's not what it's about. I know sometimes that's actually the motivation. It's so that somewhere they see the love of Jesus and that it puts them in such a spot that they realize there's something better for me. I want to change. That's what Paul's talking about. In your judgment of people around you, have you chosen to give yourself over to revenge too often? Maybe you haven't been vengeful, but maybe you've been content with that passive kind of love. You're not really doing anything for that person to to see what the love of Jesus looks like. Maybe all of us need to go one step further today. Paul is asking us to change the way that we think about how we judge people, to change the way we think about people who are frustrating to us, who are difficult to manage. We're all going to be tempted at times to be executors of justice, but that is not our job. Our job is to actually do good. Even the moments when it's not deserved, that's what our job is. It is God's job for wrath to come out. And again, I remind you, the last thing he wants is for people to be subjected to hell. He, he sent Jesus to die for us. That was the wrath that he, he executed. So I want you to think about it today. Is there a person in your life today... That you're just, maybe God's putting on your heart as we're talking. I've been struggling to love them in the active way that I'm supposed to. I've been passive. I've been just kind of coasting, hoping that something would happen, but God's calling me to more of an active love. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.